Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you everyone for joining me today. My guest is known as Gramps Jeffrey, and I'd like to welcome you to the show, Gramps. Thank you so much for inviting me, Marcia. It's my pleasure. And you have a great backstory, so I thought you could please just tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Well, I started off my whole life. I was in the business. I was in retailing and wholesaling for uh, in uh, big corporations for the first half of my life, and I decided to become an entrepreneur. And I opened up a couple businesses. One I sold to investors. The other one I took public. And while I was uh, taking the company public, I wrote a book called The Secrets of Retailing, How to Beat Walmart. That was my first book, a business book, a step-by-step guide on you know, how to open a business and how to run a business. And then I kind of got uh, retired from the business world and became a children's author. And my first children's book is I Don't Want to Turn Three. <laughs> I I love the title. I love the title and we're going to be we're going to be talking about that. But I know that for for the purposes of this um podcast, um I'm calling you Gramps. Um and so I'm just curious to know why did you choose to call yourself Gramps Jeffrey? There's got to be a story behind that. Well, I found out early on with the little little kids that they were able to say the G's pretty fast. So I figured, well, I'll, you know, I'll do one syllable of Gramps. And then my middle name is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. But for years, my wife spelled it wrong the other way. So I figured that if I would put it on a book, that she would finally learn how to spell my middle name. And so that's why I'm Gramps Jeffrey. That, so what's the other way of spelling it? J E S E R Y. Oh, like Jeff Ury. Right, right. Got it. That's so funny. That's really that. That's interesting. And you're right about. You know, we all have, we all have memories of what we may have called our grandparents. In my family, we called our grandmothers Nana. We called our grandfathers Grandpa. Um, and it, it, it's interesting how how much, and you know, we we would both agree to this that that words really matter. As an entrepreneur and as a, a former businessman, I know that you know that that was very important to you as well. But it is interesting, and, and I was very curious to know how um, you came up with with the with that that name for yourself, Gramps. And do your do you, what are your what are your grandchildren? How do they address you? Oh, they call me Gramps. I talked to all of them yesterday because it was Father's Day, and yes. every one of them says, "Where's Gramps? Where's Gramps?" And so uh, that, oh. that's what I'm known as. That what do they call Grandma? They call her Bubby. Oh, okay. Well, as a Jewish woman, I know what Bubby means. 
which is a very common word for the Jewish grandma. So perhaps that, I don't know if that does or doesn't apply to you, but it's when you said that, that definitely is a term I'm very familiar with as well. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's get started. Let's let's get to 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 know more about about what you're doing and 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 I thought we could start with who were who were your role models growing up? My role models really growing up was uh, I came from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad, my uncle. So I was kind of surrounded with these these uh, older guys. I mean, they're older at the time. I'm another age now, so I'm not. <laughs> you know, these these guys who really you know took things by the horns and said, "This is what we're going to do." So they really were my role models. You know, they were the ones that uh, took chances. They were the ones that created businesses. They were the ones that helped the other families grow. And so, you know, those really were my role models. It's seeing the, this group of entrepreneurs that were obviously family-oriented. Uh, and so that's 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 where I came. And I think that's probably why, after being in corporate America for so long, I decided to go back to my roots and become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to college? I went to school in Miami of Ohio, Oxford, Ohio. I loved it. It's okay. a great, great school in the Midwest. Well, that you know, um, people that know anything about me, and last week you learned a lot about me because I was the guest on my own show and my guest was unable to join me. Um, there is absolutely something about people that were born and raised in the Midwest, and you would have to only know that if you really know well people from the Midwest. And you know what I attribute it to, and I don't know if this will make sense to you, but when you grow up here in Los Angeles, this is where I've always lived here in Westchester, there's not really a lot we have to adjust to except perhaps for the possibility of an earthquake. Other than that, we don't really have to adjust. But when you grow up in the Midwest, you need to be prepared because your weather can change and suddenly it's not sunning and sunny. You better be able to adjust to how the weather changes and all of those things happen. And I think it makes Midwesterners very adaptable. That's not to say we can't adapt here, but it, it was just something I found very in common, very much in common with people that are from the Midwest. Is that, can, does that resonate with you at all? Uh, in a sense, it does, but you know what? And it could have been the generation I grew up in. But you know, I was very okay. lucky. Uh, I, I grew up in a small town outside Columbus called Zanesville, Ohio, and my uncle lived up the street. My grandmother lived a couple oh, blocks nice. away. So you know, we we were all together. It, it was a whole different family. But because in today's world. And, you know, I'm taking me as an example. I mean, we're scattered all over the country. I happen mm-hmm. to live here in Arizona. I've got one of my daughters and two grandkids that live here. But I've got uh, two other grandkids in Austin, Texas, and two others in Orlando, Florida. So you know, we are scattered. It's a different environment. It's a different sense of family than what it was when I was growing up. Um, which one's better? I don't really know. Uh, everybody's happy, but, uh, you know, that right. was one of the things in the Midwest also. I would I, I, I would agree with you because I also grew up with a lot of family around me as well. So so you wrote that first entrepreneur book, but why did you decide to write a children's book? I mean, we're talking about something entirely different. 
Well, you know, living this past year because of the pandemic caused by COVID-19 in isolation, pretty much except for being able to be with my family, you know, gave me a special time to watch and interact with all these grandkids. And I got to tell you what a trip that was. You know, all six of these kids have completely different personalities. But the one thing that they do have in common is a sense of curiosity, how excited they get when they do accomplish something. You know, watching them grow year to year and how they interact with each other really is, is the basis for the book. I mean, what goes through a toddler's mind that parents are so desperate to understand? What does a toddler, you know, when do they understand the difference between me and us? So this book kind of explores how the family finds this out together. But, you know, as a baby boomer, trying to understand how the world has evolved since I was three years old is also part of the story. You know, my mm-hmm. parents, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the right. Internet. They didn't have cable TV. They didn't have remotes. I was my dad's remote. He'd say, son, go change the channel. You know, <laughs> exactly. So I was the remote in those days. You know, yes. My parents' definition of discipline is quite different than the parents of today. You know, Has today's world made for a better place for our children to grow up? I'll, I'll let your listeners kind of decide on that. Sure. You know, it's, how many, so what, are the, what is the age range of your six grandchildren? When I wrote the book, they were one to eight. So one year old to eight years old. Okay, and the book was written last year. year. Did you, okay, so okay, so we're 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 everybody's under everybody's still single digits at this point. That's funny. yes, yes. Okay, and so you know you know you mentioned the pandemic and the isolation, and um, I don't think there's anybody, regardless if you do or don't have children, or if you do or don't have grandchildren, we all have a sense of that depending upon your lifestyle, which is why you mentioned technology a moment ago, why Zoom has become so valuable, or for some people they use FaceTime depending upon their um, their electronics. But I, I feel like, you know, that it's the next best thing. Let's put it that way. Before Zoom, if your children were in Florida, I mean, you could talk to them on the phone, but you didn't get to see what they looked like or let me show you my my favorite new doll or my toy or whatever. So, you know, there's been some um, advancements in that regards, but um, it's definitely a different world that we are currently living in. So tell us more about I Don't Want to Turn Three. Well, let me tell you, you know, you're talking about Zoom and communication and how do you yes, stay sir. with your children and, uh, you know, especially when we're not in the same town. I mean, because let's not kid ourselves. Kids don't call you. The kids don't call grandma. You know, it's, it's more important for you to call them. So I had the same dilemma. And uh, I'll tell you what I did, and I'm sure that your listeners may have other stories that they can relate to. So, you know, I had all six of these kids living with us for six weeks during the pandemic uh, just mm. because everybody was out of work and we all came together. Uh, so that's when really, the, the, when I wrote the book, that's what it's based on is when they're all together and watching them and how they interact and all that. Nice. But, you know. When, when when they left, when they went back to Texas and went back to Florida, you know, how was I going to take, keep in communication with them? You know, they're gone. They're out of sight, out of mind. So we came up with this idea. For some reason, for little kids that are two, three, four, five years old, they all love dinosaurs. I can't tell yes. you why, but 
when you when you watch them interact with their friends outside the family, they immediately start talking dinosaurs. Um, so so we saw that this is a real connection that they could relate to dinosaurs. I mean, these little two, three, four year olds, they can pronounce these long dinosaur names. They can tell me, <laughs> you know, if the dinosaurs eat meat, or, you know, who their friends were, who their enemies were. <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, dinosaurs are small, medium, and large. But these kids, they know the details. So we decided when the kids left our house, went back to Florida and went back to, to Texas, that we needed to stay in touch with them. They, they needed to remember who we were. So we came up with this idea that we you know, had six dinosaurs that they all interacted around the house. And it's because they were here for a little while, they were familiar with the house. So we decided that every night we were going to put the dinosaurs doing something different in the house. So one night they were in the refrigerator eating blueberries. Another night they were by the sink with uh, Bubby and they were uh, washing dishes with snowball on their nose. Another night they were playing the piano. Another night they were walking up the steps. So we had 50 different nights of inside and outside where these dinosaurs did something. So we, we, we became part of their routine of the kids that weren't living near to us. You know, mm -hmm. They would take their bath, their mom and dad would read them a story, and then they would say, what are the dinosaurs doing tonight? So they would call my wife's face. You know, on FaceTime, you know, and say, where's Gramps? Where's Gramps? What are the dinosaurs doing tonight? So that gave us a chance to, in a way, to keep in touch with our kids during these trying times. You know, and I'm sure the, the, your listeners will come up with other ideas. But, you know, you've got to, much like, you know, where my grandmother lived up the street, uh, you know, we don't live up the street. We live right. thousands and pounds away. So we all need to come up with ways that we can communicate with these little kids to make sure we're part of their lives. You know, what's real interesting. Um, you're drawing such a beautiful picture in my mind, but it also is conjuring up questions, of course. So did you already have these dinosaurs while the six kids were there, or did you go out and decide, hey, let's go get six dinosaurs. Each kid will have their own dinosaur. Is that kind of how it happened? No, what happened is they kind of accumulated. Uh, the kids brought a couple of them, brought them from home and left them here. Oh. And then, uh, so we just happened to have six of them. It was, so it was like for the six grandkids, we had six dinosaurs. That's so funny, serendipitous. And did the children... Did they name their dinosaur, or were they just the dinosaurs? No, they called like, them their them exact nicknames? name. Uh, oh, no, they, they were, called them these oh. long names. Again, these three-year-olds, they can say these long dinosaur names. Tyrannosaurus That's Rex? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Wow. That, that, you know, you are just like for all of us when we look back in our childhood. Um, you are building the most remarkable memories for these children, not only by this book that you've written, but they're never going to forget this. And I, I, I just, I love that. So tell us a little bit more about I Don't Want to Turn Three. Well, the book is, again, it's based on a true story because this actually, this, this, this came together like this. Um, it's a it's a story of the uh, of Jordan who is two is going to turn three tomorrow, and Aww. he has a habit of stealing his cousin's toys. So mm -hmm. you know, the, playing with Levi and he steals all his uh, <clears throat> sea creatures, and he's playing with Jackson, he steals all his dinosaurs, and and so he takes all their toys and he kind of accumulates them in a pile in his own room. 
And then uh, for when he turned three, everybody was here for the birthday, and they brought out the presents and so forth. And Olivia, who is eight years old um, and is a dancer, so she he happened to steal her dancing shoes. Uh, oh. And he uh, she, she goes into his room, and she says, what is all these toys doing in Jordan's room? And the whole family runs in and sees what it is. And, <laughs> uh, and they see that Jordan took everybody's stuff, and they didn't know that he took it. Um, and, and the dad, who happens to be the hero in the book, uh, you know, calls everybody together, and they start talking about what they would do. And Olivia comes up with the idea that they should give everything that has been stolen and everything from the birthday party to the homeless kids downtown. Um, well, that, that's really what wow. happened. So, if you, wow. if, when, if any of your, if any of your people, uh, you know, listeners decide to buy the book, they'll see that the pictures in the book they're all based on photographs I took. Like the uh, front of the book, I don't want to turn three, is a picture of Levi and Jackson in the bathtub. Well, I, I took that picture and then uh, sent it to the illustrator, and she made it into a kind of a cartoon look. But I so love throughout it. the book, yes. so they're all pictures based on what actually did happen. But when you think mm-hmm. about it, you know. This happens in just about every family in the world. You know, the cousins and the little two, three, four-year-olds, they they fight, they don't get along. Um, So it it comes up to the real theme of the book is at what age do you begin to take responsibility for your actions? Right. Is it years old? Is it three years old? Is it 13 years old? Is it 23 years old? You know, like you and I, I'm baby boomer. I got plenty of 63-year-olds that still don't take responsibility for their actions. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's really the the theme of the book is how do you bring that all together as a parent? That's, that's, do you actually explore that within the book? Uh, yes, you know it, it, it's, it's explored in, in a simple way, obviously, because it's, uh-huh. it's, it's meant for uh, meant for uh, toddlers and uh, first and second, third graders to kind of embrace sure. uh, the, the concepts of the book. But uh, yeah, so it, it's addressed. You know, I'd, I'd like um, just as we're speaking right now, because you did spell your name earlier, but I would like to let people know that you do have a couple of websites. And one is Gramps, just like you would think it would be spelled G R A M P S, Jeffrey, J E F F R E Y dot com. That's one of your cool websites, and you can see that picture um, of the book there. And then you have a separate uh, website that I'd also like to mention, which, <clears throat> pardon me, which is I don't want to turn three dot com. And it's a welcome to Jordan's world. And and I, I I love this, and I, I and I think this is I, I think your illustrations are really awesome. I did not know that these were actually pictures of the children that were then illustrated because, frankly, I was curious about that. I I thought that they were the pictures are great. The picture inside the book, where Jordan has gathered all these toys into a pile, is great. So um, I really encourage people. To check this book out because this is a book that you can share with your children. So, what do you think? You know, you, you you've raised four children, you've got six grandchildren. What do you think we should be teaching our children? Let me, uh, you know, you had mentioned the picture in the book of Jordan in the in the toys and uh-huh. uh, let, uh-huh. let, let me just take a second i want to read the page where olivia discovers please the toys. please okay uh and i'll kind of give you a feel for for what's going on in the book 
So, so this is the page where Olivia discovers his toys. Then all of a sudden, Olivia screams, what are my dancing shoes doing in Jordan's room? The entire family runs to my private bedroom, and Jackson yells, my dinosaurs. And Levi shrieks, my sea creatures. And Baker balls truck, and Grace cries, my dolls. And Mommy looks at me like today will be my last day alive. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. That Well, that was the fear, right? So <laughs> that was like, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble now. So based on that, what do you think um, we should be teaching um, our kids about taking responsibility for their actions? Well, you know, maybe let's talk about what parents' responsibilities are in the, today's world, okay? Because today's right. world, I mean, today's world has changed just in the last three months compared to the last year and the year before and all that. So, you know, with all the uh, uh, instant information we get, the uncertainty, the cruelty, and the differences in ideas, you know, what is the really true role of, of parents today? You know, obviously parents provide their children with food and clothing and a, and a place to live. Right. They also provide uh, financial support, medical care, and opportunity to receive an education. Now, those are all things that, that parents need to do. Yeah, you know, and obviously to protect their children from harm, you know, especially what's going on in the news lately. I mean, to right. protect them from harm, provide them with a safe environment. You know, which includes supervision and control of any situation. But, you know, parents are the most influential people for our children. You know, they, they have more power to bring the good qualities needed in our daily lives you know, than, than anyone. You know, then what, what are those qualities? Well, you know, it's honesty, it's responsibility, mm-hmm. it's kindness, it's independence, you know, respect, positive thinking, all these things that obviously in the news we, we are hearing about lately. Creativity, obviously, we want all these kids to grow up being uh, being happy with what they do. Healthy eating and exercise. You know, I'm on a diet right now. I should have done that when I was a kid. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, success that uh, that the kid, they can learn from failures. It's okay for these kids to, 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 to fail so they can learn from that. And then obviously how to have fun. So, you know, those are all the responsibilities of, of, of parents today. Sure. The question is, are they doing it, or how are they doing it? Mm-hmm. That's true. And, every, and you know, based perhaps on how you were raised and what you personally saw in your household, are you repeating what you saw? If what you saw wasn't great, are you making changes? So all of those things absolutely play a part. And kids are not interacting with other children right now like they used to. I know here in California kids are physically back in school now, but there was a time when, you know, everything was online. And and that isn't what we would consider, in quotes, normal. You know, kids are supposed to be on the playground together, and you're supposed to be taking turns. It's Bob's turn. It's Susie's turn. You know, hold the rope and turn it, whatever. You know, those kinds of things have had a a delayed reaction for these children. So I, I I would think that that also plays a very important part. But I think, why do you think it's important for children to read. Well, you think about reading and what it does for you. Okay, so in other words, let's let's, let's say I'm the grandpa and I'm I've got uh, I'm able to get my grandchild to sit on my lap, you know, mm-hmm. and then we've opened up a book. Well, the first thing that happens 
when you you are reading with your grandchildren or your child is it creates a bonding experience. It's an, yeah. it's just a nice time to be together. You know, it gives you 20 minutes just to be there and talk with them and, and you and them, and it, it creates a, that the bonding experience. It, it supports listening skills. Now, you and I both know as adults that the most important skill that we have is listening, especially in your, you know, you're born to talk, so you've got to be born <laughs> to listen. You know, so uh, if you're if you're selling product, you got to be able to, uh, to 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 listen. You know, if you're teaching, you have to be able to listen. So, you know, listening skills are the most important skills we have. And if we can get these things into these kids, uh, really young, you know, the, where you're sitting there reading them a book, it requires them to listen. So those skills can start to, to be developed, which they can use the rest of their lives. You know, another reason we should be Reading books to kids is for the cognitive and the language development. When you think about it, there's all kinds of words in these books that the kids don't understand. So it gives you a chance to explain them. I mean, there's plenty of books that I don't understand the words. i got to go look them up. So sure. you know, it just gives you that chance to bond and teach them about words and language development. You know, you've got all that going on with reading a book. And then, you know, uh, the attention span. When, when you're two, three, four-year-old, you know, you bounce off the wall all day long. If you get them in your lab for 20 minutes, it helps them with the key concentration and self-discipline skills. And so it just helps them with the, with learning. So those are just some of the reasons why we should be reading books to these kids every single night. You know, I immediately went to my experience with my kids. My kids are, my sons will be 48 next month. My daughter is 45. Good night, Moon. Hello, did we not read that every night? Um, there were certain books that that I thought, oh, my gosh, he's actually reading. And it's like, uh, no, he's not reading. You've read this book with him so many times, he has memorized it because this is your time together. And I still have those books. And I don't recall doing that with my parents. But I absolutely did that with my kids. I thought that was just like you said. It was a bonding moment. It was a special time, wherever that might have been. And um, I, I just, I think it's it's critical. And you have such a large family. Did you personally spend a lot of time reading to your children growing up? Uh, yes. But again, when you're in the, the business world and you're not home every night and you're traveling, mm -hmm. you lose some of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why it gives you a chance as a grandparent to help make up for that. You know, it gives yes. you a chance to, to, to really to, to, to be with these kids. You know, because if you think about it, it is necessary for us to teach children how to think, not what to think. They're going to learn how to what to think as they grow older. But we need to teach them how to think. And reading books teaches them how to think. I mean, when you think about it, you know, you, when, you, when you're ready to read a book, first of all, you should have the child pick out the book to read that night uh, mm -hmm. just because that way they've got engagement into it. And everybody's got 20 or so uh, children's books laying around their house. You know, there's 100 great books. Obviously, I want everybody to buy mine, but, but there's 100 other great books out there that, uh, that, that, that can help with this experience. So before you even open the book, again, with the idea that we are necessary for us as adults, parents and grandparents to teach children how to think, is before you even read it, ask the child, what 
what do you think is going to happen in this book? Again, starting to get mm-hmm. them to think. Then, then why you're reading it? You want to you want to ask them who are the characters in this book? Where is right. the setting? You know, does anything in this book seem familiar to you? Keep asking the questions. Let them keep thinking. And then the after dialogue. you're done reading, the same thing that you should be doing every night when you're at dinner time is, you know, what were your favorite part of this book? What was your favorite part of your day? Why was this the most favorite part of your book? We've got to get these kids to start to think so they can think on their own. And, you know, reading just helps them necessarily teach them how to think. You know, the other thing that the other side effect from this is that if you do ask those questions where you are engaging them and they are experiencing you engaging them, you are also demonstrating a form of conversation. And therefore, perhaps one of the royalties of this is that maybe the Jordans or whomever says, so Gramps, what did you do today? And it's like, it's inter- wow. Yeah, it's interesting that you ask that question because there is one question that I wish every parent and grandparent would start to ask their child every single day. What's and it's based, on, it's based on, you know, what's going on in this world, what's been going on in this world for the last six years or so, what's going on in this world today. And the question I wish that every child was asked uh, and we do it every day, is what did you do today that was nice to someone else? Now, mm. you ask your child that question. The first time they're going to look at you and say, oh, what do you mean? I, I took my cousin's toys. I didn't do anything nice to somebody. But if you, if you ask them that question every single day, by the third or fourth day, you know, they're going to understand what you're looking for. Maybe they'll hold the door open for an old lady. Maybe they'll walk one across the street. You know, but if you ask that, your child that question, what did you do today that was nice to someone else? Can you imagine the difference this generation would have on our country if that's how they grew up? Yes. I mean, it sounds so simple and yet so profound. And you used the word to. What did you do today that was nice to somebody? Does that mean something different to you than for somebody? Um, I think it does in that okay. what did you do nice that was nice to someone? Okay, Because, again, Think about uh, the homeless, you know, the, the, the less fortunate. What did, mm-hmm. did you give them? Food? Did you help them give them a sweater? Uh, did you give them some place for air conditioning, especially in Arizona today at 110? You know, right. it's like, uh, you know, what did you do? And so, so I, again, it's just something I, I, I vision that if we could all do that, wow, would our country be different? But you know. I would say, I would put this challenge in front of you and say, not only could we say that to those children sitting around the table as we're having a meal, but I think it would be great, depending upon the age now, I realize, for that same child to say, Gramps, Booby, what did you do today that was nice to someone? So that there is an interchange there's an exchange of that because then it reminds us that we, too, can do the same. And uh, I, I, I really, 
I think it can spark a tidal wave of of curiosity and generosity, and I think that it's it's beautiful. I think it's it's a it's a really wonderful thing that um, that you've just suggested. Let's. Well, let's you know when you when you you, you, you hit on a couple things. One is uh, you know Go if ahead. you create the curiosity that builds imaginations, that's what we should be doing in reading books and, and as parents, creating the curiosity that builds imagination. But if you go back to the original idea that it's necessary to teach children how to think, once they start questioning you, you've reached your mission. You have started to teach them how to think. Yes, that's that's beautiful. Do you think that? Um, how, well, let me ask you, rather than put a judgment here, how do you think technology has influenced our youth today? Because you have grandkids that are in elementary school as well as preschool. So, how do you think that technology today has influenced our youth? This generation, these kids one to ten years old today, are the greatest generation that this country has ever produced. And the reason they are so great and going to be better with our influence, obviously, is you know they come right out of the womb and they're on the internet. They're yeah. they're electronic. They're they're on the iPhone. They're learning the iPhone. They're learning you know how to how to work the internet. I mean, I didn't do anything on the internet until I was forty years old. Can you imagine right. coming out as soon as you're born? And you start to understand. I mean, it's embarrassing how many times we go to our grandkids to help figure out stuff for us. You know, yeah. just because, you know, that, that's how they are together. So it is with that information, because they are going to be the smartest generation ever, you know, and we go back to your idea of making sure that we teach them to go out and play soccer and, or, you know, run around and, and have some of the values that we had as growing up kids. If we can combine those two things, I, it really will be the best generation this country's ever produced. I agree. I was at a, I was at a Dodger game yesterday, and there was a, a young family in front of me, and this this little kid, I I couldn't believe how well she could manipulate what she wanted to see on her iPhone because she wasn't interested in the ball game. It was hot. She didn't care about the baseball game, but she was doing her games. And I thought, well, how did she know how to do that? Well, because you just you just described it. That's that's what they seem to know how to do. But because of that, do you think that today's kids are reading less? Well, the pandemic has kids reading less. According to the United Nations. Uh, Educational Science and Culture, the UNESCO, the United Nations, there are 584 million children worldwide that are experiencing reading difficulties now. That compares wow. to 460 million just a year earlier. You know, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a rise of more than 20%. That wipes out two decades of educational gains around the country. The pandemic wiped out two decades of educational gains in reading. You know, the Stanford Graduate School of Education, they just released a study reporting that second and third graders' reading fluency is now 30% behind what would be expected in a typical year. Oh, you know, reading fluency is fundamental for academic development because you know it, it, it helps them learn now how to read so they can solve problems as they get older. But can you imagine 30% behind of what it was? So, yes, to answer your question, we have got 
to force the issue to get these kids reading again because the pandemic has messed that all up. Wow. You know, I, I, I don't know how many people are listening right now that just did a wow in their mind because I, I didn't know that. And I guess in my mind, with this technology we were just speaking about, I suppose in reality they're not really reading they are playing. They're not reading the instructions as much as somebody might have shown them how to play a game, and so now they're playing a game. I hadn't really thought about the decline in reading, and that's, that's unfortunate. That, that really, that, that's an unfortunate statistic to have to listen to you say. What, what advice would you give to grandparents who have a role in helping to raise their grandchildren. How would you advise them? Well, let's talk about grandparents in general. Let's talk about baby right. boomer parents and, uh, you know, what is their okay. role? You know, 30% of grandparents are classified as being remote. Yeah, and this the definition you know, of remote means, you know, and i got to tell you, if you think 30%, that's one out of every three of us. If you, know, if you go into a room and you look around, that means one out of every three of these grandparents are, are remote. And, you know, the definition is they rarely see their grandchildren, and mm. most contact is made on birthdays and holidays, and that's about it. You know, so what well, you ask yourself, why do a third of us you know, don't want to get involved? Well, you, know, you, you hear the idea that, uh, that the grandparents say, I, I raised my kids, I raised great kids, let them worry about the grandkids. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's what causes it. Um, but, but, you know, but there's all kinds of other – so think about that. One out of every three of us. But there's, there's all kinds of reasons why there's a disconnect between grandparents and, uh, and grandchildren. Um, but, and, but a lot of times this is facilitated by the, the, uh, the grandparents. I mean, think about it. As a grandparent, you know, as a grand, trying to get involved with your kids and how your relationship, you know, they, they can, we can cause a strained relationship with the kids' parents. You know, we can facilitate mm-hmm. dividing spouses and, and, you know, that causes uh, anxiety, you know, uh, things like giving unsolicited advice by telling parents what to do and, and then, uh, you know, re- disrespecting boundaries by dropping in unannounced. You know, just, you know, these are some ways that we as grandparents cause strife with, with our, our kids, you know. Mm. You know, and, you know, there's all kinds of examples that push grandparents away from their children, you know, undermining the parent's authority by challenging what a parent is teaching their children. You know, how many wow. think about how, how many times have we done that? Grandparents question the parents' values and the family structure. So think about how we as grandparents are pushing ourselves away because, you know, we're questioning what our kids are doing. You know, we as grandparents sometimes have a tendency to play favorites, you know, manipulate mm. Ask me, who I have a favorite? No, I don't have a favorite. They're all the same. But many grandparents, you know, they they do have favorites and they do manipulate mm. siblings. That causes grandparents to be pushed away. You know, transactional control of the kids, give the kids money, give them gifts, give them vacations. You know, that causes a rift between parents and and then grandparents. So that we do that. And grandparents, you know, as we get older, we think we get wiser, and we should be getting wiser because as as we add decade to decade to being being older, we make more and more mistakes. So we should learn from that you would think but you know we many times an overall lack of empathy you know not knowing the ability to understand and share 
the feelings, your feelings with them. You know, this is a crucial in young children. That causes uh, us to be thrown back and away from the kids. You know, uh, grandparents who demand that a child to comply and respect them, that causes rifts. So, you know, even though one out of three of us aren't involved, there's all kinds of reasons for it, and those are some of them. Gosh. Wow. That, you've, you've sort of painted a kind of a bleak picture and I know that, you know, financially there are a lot of people that are struggling today. Uh, a lot of jobs have been lost. Um, some parents are home more. Some parents are home, but they're working from home. Um, um, and there, there's there's the, the financial uh, aspects of today and what's happening financially in our in our country. I guess all of those things play a part. And I, I don't know, maybe you would know this better because I can't, I can't speak from experience. Are there still what you would consider those traditional roles where mom did this kind of stuff and dad did this kind of stuff? <laughs> yes, there are. Um, you know, but when you talk about roles, we should talk about we as parents and grandparents need to really be the role model for these these little kids because little kids mm-hmm. will reflect you exactly i mean i can tell you that for if you're talking to a little kid and a cuss word comes out you're going to hear that same cuss word four or five times that day you know and unless uh, unless you really quickly say things that they like like bananas and blueberries and dinosaurs and maybe they'll <laughs> forget about it but, but you know you know they reflect you so we are the role models so when grandparents have their grandkids, they they're looking at us. You know, they're 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 thinking about us. So if we spend so much more time on our screens, I'm telling you, your kids going to be spending time on their screens. If we spend time watching TV, your kids going to be spending time watching TV. So mm-hmm. that's why we want to make sure that if we are reading, your kids going to read. If we're outside playing, your kids going to go outside playing. Never lose sight that you know they they're just sponges. They absorb everything we give them, um, and they you know and they remember it. I, I mean, I, I'm sure you can think of memories that you've had with your grandparents that are just great memories. But they also they are. That. You know, it's really funny because we're talking about books. I guess I just don't ever get rid of anything. Currently in my house, because I've lived here forever, I still have the Bobsy Twin books. I still have Spin and Marty. Those were books that my grandma read to me, the Bobsy Twins. And I, I, as I had mentioned, um, Goodnight Moon had come into my mind. Um, Richard Scarry was a book. I think I, I taught my son, I, I guess because he's the oldest, I'm sort of reflecting on him. Um, I think he learned to talk because we read, you know. And, and I thought, oh, look, he, he's reading that. No, he's, he really isn't reading it, but he just remembers it. And um, it's, it's like you said, it's so, it's so important. And, and I think not only is it important for us to read to our children, but as they get older, would you agree that it would be equally important for them to read to us? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about being the role model and the memories they have and your memory. You have great memories of your, your grandmother, but we can also leave bad memories with them too. You know, things that will haunt these kids forever. You know, mm-hmm. for, for instance, uh, we, we babysat for our two kids here in uh, Scottsdale last two weeks ago because their parents okay. went to uh, Vegas and mm-hmm. uh, for the weekend. And so, yeah, we had them over our house, and, and uh, Levi just turned seven, and Olivia just turned nine. And, you know, we had them over here. We had a great time. We did everything that the grandparents should be doing. You know, we had went out and played in the park. We uh, went swimming. You know, we, we have this week from 20, you know, 20 years ago. We played Wii on oh, the TV, God, yeah. you know, read books, did, did all the went to a museum, a dinosaur museum, by the way. Um, okay. And so uh, we, we, uh, yeah, we just did the great things. And then on Saturday night, Levi was a very picky eater, uh, and, you know, doesn't eat anything. And his mm-hmm. grandmother said to him, if you don't eat this, you are not going to be able to play or watch TV after dinner. Well, he didn't eat it. And so he didn't play. So, you know, the next day we drop him off at their parents' house, and uh, and Olivia said, oh, we had a great time. We played in the park. I played some soccer. I hit a little a couple of basketball. We just had a great time. And Levi, the only thing out of Levi's mouth was that Bubby wouldn't let me eat anything. I had a terrible time. So we leave those impressions. You know, we, yes. we, we need those memories. And so as, as, as we are interacting with these little kids, they remember stuff for years. And so mm-hmm. we just always keep that in the back of your mind, too, that, that you are a role model. And so you've got to decide, you know, what kind of uh, legacy do you want to leave for these children? Well, they're watching. They're watching us. There's no, there is no doubt about that. And... Um, and that behavior that they're observing, um, they they can do it with they can do with it as they please, but um, they are I'm sure they are watching. And so when he made the comment that you know he didn't eat, what 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 was the follow up to that? The follow up was that he didn't have a good time. And then <laughs> I don't want to go back to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And and did anybody say well? How come you didn't eat? Is oh, yeah. No, I mean, really, no, he, uh, he's got a whole theory. He says, you know, everybody's taste buds are This is a seven-year-old. He says, everybody's taste buds are different. You know, so people like some things and don't like others. He says, I just don't like anything. That's funny. Do they all, do, do your, do, besides your grandchildren, I'm imagining being very oral, do they, uh, and speaking is what I mean, do they also draw? Are they drawers? Uh, they they color. They like to color. Okay. No one has emerged as the next artist of our uh, family, but uh, you know okay. they all they all like to color. Why does that happen? Did that happen in your family? Well, I my my brother um, ended up becoming an art teacher, um, and my father was very artistic, even though that wasn't his line of professional work. But I'm just thinking about. You know, like I said, I'm not going on any experience as a grandparent, but I'm just thinking about, would you ever say to a child, why don't you draw me a picture about what you did today? Or does does that, does in other words, that, that's another sort of imagination kind of builder. Do, do kids ever do that depending upon their age? Because they're not in school, or maybe, well, maybe they are, but... You know, does that does that ever play a part in this? 
Yeah, that's a that's a very good therapy. We go back to when we were talking about earlier how the generations have changed from when you and I were growing up to the to what they are, and part of that was the way j- discipline was uh, put together. You know, right. you know when the, I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, and my parents right. were part of the greatest generation this country has had because you know they went through the depression. You know, they mm-hmm. went through World War II and saved this country and saved democracy. So that whole generation, my parents' generation, was very disciplined. You know, they uh, and rightfully so, uh, the, the, because they overcame all kinds of things. So, you know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of disciplines a lot different than when, when uh, growing up t- mm-hmm. today. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my brother Larry and I got in trouble. <gasps> my mother would say, "Wait, till your dad gets home." <laughs> so, right. Like, you know, my dad would uh, come home and he'd whip off his belt and he would chase us around the kitchen table. You know, that was that was discipline back then. Uh, right. The uh, he had he had this fraternity paddle that he kept in his closet. And one uh, <laughs> one night when when the uh, parents uh, my parents weren't there, my brother and I took it out and it was late fall in Ohio. And the leaves were down on the ground and we buried it into a pile of leaves. And then the next night it snowed. And so oh that spring, we went back out, and the paddle was gone. It was a miracle <gasps> in my life. It was like one of the oh miracles of our life. The paddle was gone. Yeah, but that that was discipline when my generation. Now, well, I think we learned from that, and you know, we weren't as harsh. We tried to talk to our kids. We tried to right. reason with. Them. You know, and we, you know, that was the kind of discipline that we did. And then I'm seeing now the discipline of my kids with my grandkids is a little bit different. You know, they they go into timeout, uh, and so the reason they send them over to timeout to be in a corner by themselves when all their friends are having fun is for them to realize that they did something wrong and they got to be mm-hmm. by themselves. Um, so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of discipline. In fact, I went to uh, Grace's third birthday party in Austin last month. And, uh, you know, she was sitting there with her brother Jackson and she had gotten some trucks and they were playing with the trucks and then they started, you know, fighting over the trucks. And she looks at him and she says, I need my space. And she gets up. Oh, gosh. How old was she? she, Three years old. It was her third year old birthday party. I need my space. She gets up, goes over and sits on one side of the sofa. And Jackson looks at her and she says, you know, I need my space too. And he goes to the other side. Now. They didn't learn that on the Internet or on TV. <laughs> I am sure that one day their mother looked at them and got so frustrated with them and said, I need my space, and walks away. And so, again, knowing that we are the role models, but that was a positive. That showed mm-hmm. that they can learn to get together, and they know when it's too late, and they need their space. So that's discipline today versus when I was growing up, and I think it's much better. You know, it's really funny. I don't know if you heard me do a gasp, but my brother is also a Larry. So I just, I went, oh, you have a brother named Larry? I have a brother named Larry, too. But he was never in trouble. I was the one that was always in trouble. I was the one that got spanked over the knees. But, you know, we had a dog. She wasn't having any of that. So if I got in trouble for whatever, it was probably for get, talking in school. Oh, what a big surprise. Um, you know, and my dad was, was reprimanding me or scolding me or, in this case, spanking me. Um, the dog was, was biting him. 
It's like, hey, you know, pardon my sister here. So that <laughs> those those things went away. But um, I don't remember ever my husband and I ever spanking our children. But I do remember, like you had mentioned, time out or go to your room or take the TV away or take, you know, Nintendo away, you know, or, or any of those other events. Um, you know, I was grounded if I got bad grades. I couldn't go to sports night where everybody else was going on a Friday night because I got unsatisfactories on my report card. So, I mean, we, we can look back at all of these things and, and remember this, and I think it's so important as we're talking about this, is this legacy and this creative curiosity and building this imagination that we want to do with this next generation. And what do you think grandparents' relationships could be like with their own children based on what we're talking about? Well, you only hope and pray that it gets better. Keep in mind that with COVID, you know, the, the older generation, people 65 years and older are 16% of the population, but they are 75% of the people dying in COVID. So when you think about that, that means that, you know, we as baby boomers and older, we're here today and we could be gone tomorrow. You know, and so we, we as grandparents, you know, you know, the, the life expectancy just over the last couple of years of Americans has gone down two years because if you add in the COVID with the cancer and the heart disease and everything else, you know, we're just dying faster. We're, we're, there's less of us. And so we have got to live for today and not worry too much about tomorrow because who knows what's going to bring tomorrow with, uh, with us old guys. And so you've got to, you know, you've got to keep in mind that, that these children are young only once. They're only either 1 to 18 where you can kind of influence them, probably less than that when you think about when they get to their teenage years. But right. there's a very short period of time that we have to influence them. So we, you know, knowing that the, the future is unpredictable, we have to step in today, and we have to, to make sure we try to become part of the routine of these kids because we only have one generation kind of, or, you know, 10 years or so to, to really influence and make a difference. You know? And mm-hmm. so we can't be afraid to initiate. We can't, we can't wait for the, uh, the, our kids to call us to, to interact with their kids. We as grandparents have got to do it now because we may not be there tomorrow, but more importantly, you know, as we get older and have all this experience based on all of our own failures, we have got to be able to give that to these kids so it rounds out everything else that they're learning on the Internet. Sure. But along with the failures, I'd like to just put a comma after that and say, and successes. Because we don't want to just focus on what failed. Because I'd like to, I would like to stay more focused on, but what worked? What what worked? What did you ta- What did you take from your father? What is it about growing up as as kids in this household that are still with you today because of dad? I can tell you. Um, there's a book there for my daughter to write because she is a, she is on a, um, she's an example of who he was, and and she's like that today. And interestingly enough, my son is much much like me. We have very similar personalities. He like me, she like him, 
yet they raised they were raised in the same household so you know it it's very interesting but as you look forward to the future because we'd like to think that we can i know i do i plan for it what's up next for you what what what's 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 on your bucket list that's next for you well, I'm in the process of reading, of writing my uh, newest book. Is I don't want to turn four, but when you oh. think about it, you know, when you think about it, there's a, there's a story for almost every age. In fact, uh, Olivia came to me last week. She just turned nine. She says, "Gramps," she says, "I got a great idea for our next book." She says, "Let's write." I don't want to turn ten. I said, "You don't want to turn 10? I said, "Olivia, why don't you want to turn 10? She says, "Well, you know." I'm going to have to learn how to drive, and I'm a little worried about that. I said, that's, that's seven years away. Why are you worried about it now? She says, you know, and, and i got to start thinking about picking out a college. I don't know where to go. I said, that's, you know, that's nine years oh. away. Why are you worried about that now? But So she's got an idea for us to write a book. I don't want to turn 10. When you think about it, I don't want to turn 30. I don't want to turn 50. I don't want to turn 70. At every age that we are, you know, mm. you know that's kind of scary moving forward. So that's my that's my next project. I think it's I think because of your influence. I don't know if she would have been able to say and 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 express what she meant when she said I don't want to turn 10. It didn't have anything to do with her friends. Didn't have anything to do with I'm going to be going into the 4th grade and I, I'm afraid to go into the 4th grade. It was, she was projecting, look at how far out she was projecting when she said that. But by her saying that, it allowed you to have that conversation. Yeah, if you think about it, if we all can have similar conversations with these kids, how much better will they be than we ever were? Yes. I, I, well, you know, you're talking to somebody that thinks that conversation is the key to life. So, you know, I, I don't think there's ever too much conversation. I'm sure there are those that would say, God, would you just be quiet for just a moment? You know, I, there's, I, I'm sure that that's the case. But I would like to think that I can read that in somebody's face. But by, by having these conversations, by connecting with other people, what we're doing is we're, improving i don't in my mind humankind it's our way of 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 talking about what's good of talk and it, and if if what you're afraid of is what's scaring you then let's talk about it what is it i had no idea honey that you were afraid of what college you were going to go to at 10 years old let's talk about that do you want to tell me about that now she might say no I don't want to tell you about that at all. All right. I'll respect that. But, you know, I I think that what you're doing in taking your original, like you said, your original career and then moving it into this new role in life for you, which has been a grandpa for a while now, but certainly a dad for a long time, um, I think you are a role model. This almost... As we're speaking, it almost feels like this could be a TED Talk where you could actually be on the stage speaking to other people listening, which is why I podcast. I mean, that really is why I podcast. It's for the very reason of letting people know 
what other people are doing and why and the difference that it makes for so many other people. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful that you have shared this because I think people can relate to what it is you're saying today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I appreciate sharing this. It's it's great, and, and everybody, just so you know, you can certainly visit Gramps's um, website. He has more than one. He I mentioned earlier that he has one that's that's I don't want to turn three dot com, and the three is numeric, not spelled out T H. And um, you can certainly purchase this book, and it might be just the beginning of the book you want to read with your grandchildren, or maybe. Maybe you've inspired somebody to think, wow, I think I might want to write a book. I've always thought about writing a book. Perhaps I can write a book. You just never know where a die, where, where an idea starts. And I'm so fortunate and grateful to be able to do this every week because a seed is always planted during a conversation. And I... I'm a firm believer in that. So I just want to thank you so much for being generous with your time with us today, and I encourage all of you to really take to heart what was said today because there were some statistics that were pretty pretty um, scary that 30% of, of grandparents are remote now. So what can you do to maybe help in that situation? So with that... I will wish you a lovely day, um, and I hope that you have a wonderful time. The next time you're with your grandchildren, I will be thinking about you. And, and thank you once again for joining me today. Oh, yes, and if any of your uh, listeners want to continue the conversation, just email me at gramsjeffrey at gmail.com. I'd be glad to keep this going. That's a great idea. Thank you for that permission. I would not have... I would not have put that out there without you saying that. So if anybody is interested, you heard GrampsJeffrey at gmail.com. Reach out. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Be safe. And, and, and you know what? What did you do today that was nice to somebody else? Keep that in mind, everybody. Those are wonderful parting words. Bye for now. All right, I'm playing my outgoing music, but I don't hear it. Hopefully it's going. Oh, there it is in the background. Bye, everybody.